and I also want to welcome everybody that's watching by our live stream right now. My name's David Bendet. I'm the senior pastor here at Rock City Church, and I'm super excited about today and the next season of our lives. Today, I was going to start talking about Pentecost and set up Pentecost, which is going to happen on the 31st. But I'm going to teach on something else, and I'm actually going to start my teachings on Pentecost next Sunday. And then Wednesday, after that, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we're going to have Supernormal Natural, and I'm going to be teaching and praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit or don't know what that is, if you do not pray in tongues but would like to or would like to learn more about what that is, why it's in the Bible, why it's important, what it is, what it's not, I'm going to teach on that, and then we're going to pray for it as we head right into Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and celebrating that. Roughly 35 days ago, we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Christ, and in four days from now, Jesus will officially ascend to heaven. That's the 10th the day before Pentecost. Jesus would ascend, and in 10 days after that, he would pour out the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of where we are in a timeline right now. And so uh, I want to encourage you guys to be here on Wednesday nights if you can. We are not live streaming every Wednesday night anymore. We're just going to live stream the Supernormal Naturals. So if you can be here, please be here. And again, two Wednesdays from now, I'll be teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we'll dive into Pentecost. But for today, I actually feel like the Lord gave me a different message for all of you. And I feel like it's going to be a very timely message for those of you that feel distant and far from the Lord or feel abandoned by God in any way, shape, or form. I realize that most of you may not feel that way, and that's a beautiful thing. I want our church to be resilient and to be close to the Lord. I want you to know that God is never far from you, and he's always reaching out to touch you, heal you, strengthen you, and deliver you. But every now and then, we have seasons or times or moments where we feel like God is far from us, and we feel like, Lord, where are you? Right now, in our nation and in the nations of the world, there can very well be this mindset that, God, where are you? Or you've abandoned us, or you've left us, or you've neglected us, or you're not here to heal us, or to touch us, or to save us. It's a common recurring theme in the Old Testament whenever the Israelites would be, in a sense, sold into exile or taken captive. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today in this context. My favorite thing about the Lord is how much he loves me. It's my favorite thing. Especially in the context of how many times I have bombed it, blown it, or failed. I've had a lot of failures, and every single time the Lord keeps loving me. In my natural mind, I don't understand it. Because my earthly dad was not like that. In fact, my earthly blood father left me and abandoned me when I was young. When I was one. So most of my life, I had this man-pleasing, measure-up, performing thing inside of me where I didn't feel like I was good enough, so I overachieved to be good enough and did all I these people so they wouldn't leave lied to or broken relationships. One of two things happens, either a lot of anger and bitterness and isolation and walling ourselves up, or this overachieving thing comes to make sure that nobody does it to you again by trying to please everybody. Both are deceptive lies, and both will never work. I know both of those things really, really well. And sadly, when I came to know the Lord, I took that same mindset into my relationship with him. It's this feeling of, I'm good enough, I'm not good enough. He loves me, he loves me not. Up, down, I failed, he's far, 
I did the right thing, and he's close. I know I'm speaking to some people today because we live in this constant, you know, flux of up and down, hot and cold and in and out, and God loves me, and God loves me, he loves me not. Don't think that you're so religious that that's not the case. Every single one of us has to wrestle with that carnal nature, which was a lie from the wrong tree that was passed down through all of humanity. And when you get born again, that carnal nature has to be crucified, and we're in a lifelong process of God working that out of us. There are times and moments where you're going to feel like, God, where are you? There are times and moments you're going to feel like, God, have you abandoned me? There are times and moments where you're going to feel uncertain. I have them. But I've learned through lots of overcoming and the faithfulness of the Lord that actually I never have to be uncertain. It was my own choice of living in uncertainty. It was my own choice of living in doubt. God never actually left me. I'm the one that left him. And we're going to talk about that today. But it amazes me how no matter how many times in my past I have failed or bombed it or just completely burned the bridge down and crushed everything to ashes in my life willingly and by my own choice that the Lord comes right back into my life, rescues, rebuilds, and loves me the same. Because earthly, my earthly dad didn't do that. And most relationships don't seem to work that way. You do me wrong, okay, maybe once, but not twice. We're guarded, we're in self-preservation, we're defensive, we're keeping people at an arm's distance because if I really knew who you were, if I really knew what you did, I might not like you. So I better kind of keep you a little bit of, at a distance and not really love you the way Jesus loves me because he knows everything about me. And we have a divided church, people full of fear and worry and opinions and all kinds of muddied waters that are keeping us separated because of fear, shame, self-preservation, fear of man or trying to please people. Or we're angry and bitter because of something that happened in our past. And for me, what I realize is the Lord could love, know everything about me and love me so much and continue to keep pursuing me with his love. And I'm not talking about sloppy grace where there's not consequences for sin. I'm, but today I'm talking about God's love and mercy that always pursues, that enables me to stay in right relationship with him and with you. Because I don't think you can have a burning passion for Jesus and not have a burning passion for unity. They don't go together. You can't, oh man, I love Jesus, but, the, but his people, I love you, Jesus, but I just don't like that. And I don't like them. And I know there's all kinds of issues, but God has called us to reconcile and deal with those issues. Here's the only way it can happen. The only way it can happen is when you walk in the light with the Lord, because when I walk in his light, as, walk in light as he's in the light, I have fellowship with one another, John says. Because Why? There's not that little sneaky thing I'm hiding. There's not that little thing I'm preserving. There's not that little fear that you're going to hurt me and do me wrong. You see, when you get free of what other people think about you, you'll stop self-preserving yourself. Oh, we all subtly can do it. We all wrestle with it. We all want to be liked. 
And nobody really wants to be called out and fronted out with their stuff. But see, love covers a multitude of sins, and if we confess our sins to one another, we'll be healed. And that doesn't mean I have to tell you every single thing that I go through in my home, in my family, or in my heart. What it means is that now I'm in right relationship with you because I see you the way God sees me, and if I've ever done you wrong, I'll do whatever it takes to make it right. And it brings healing to my life. I choose to not stay in the dark. I get in the light as fast as I can. That's why I say when I come to church, I've said this for years and years and years. Don't think I'm worshiping because I'm on the mountaintop. I worship more extravagant when I'm in the valley. Because I'm desperate. Because I have understood God wants me to run to him, not from him. And the last thing he wants me to do is come into church and bury my head between my, my hands and my legs in shame. Instead, he says, get up. Come here. Get your hands up. Lift your head up. I didn't die on that cross in vain. But we make it in vain when we live in shame and stay there when he's made the way out. It's self-cutting. I'm going to do all I can in penitence to get my way back to God. So you bomb it, you blow it, and for weeks, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I get it. You feel bad. You feel terrible about what you did or how, what, how you acted or how you treated your wife. Or you've, it's a horrible feeling when you bomb it and blow it and do something wrong. But the Lord always says that godly sorrow immediately leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, which produces life. It's a pattern that never fails. But worldly sorrow will kill you, and there's a difference. And some of you are living in worldly sorrow constantly. Worldly sorrow produces shame and leads to death. And it's the constant ploy of the enemy. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're such an idiot. You're stupid. You'll never measure up. You'll never become any. I know these lies really, really well. And I get to break them with you together. Because I got to break them in my own life too. He's always a liar and he's always accuser and I'm not immune to the lies and the accusations. I just have the answers and have chosen to respond right. And more often the response, the right response is get your hands up and surrender. I often think about the tax collector came into the temple to worship. He probably barely drug himself in. It was probably took everything for him to even go that day. And there's Pharisees. Oh, man. Woo-hoo. Lord, I worship you. I've been fasting, giving. I got it all together. Thank God I'm not like that guy. You know what I say to that guy? Get out of the corner. You are welcome here and get to the altar. If you're that guy that barely drug yourself in today, stop living in the shame and the worry and the fear of what I or anybody else or even God's going to say. Because I'm going to show you today that no matter what you do, God always loves you and his love always pursues you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Not one thing, not even yourself. Oh, you can walk away. You can separate yourself. But God will always keep pursuing. And so when you feel like God's abandoned you, you got to know what the truth is and stop believing the lie. So let's look at the scripture. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1. I'm sure it's my mic in my back pocket. 
Let's move it to my belt. How's that, guys? I'm getting looks from the sound booth. Woo! Last service, I was snotting and crying everywhere, rubbing tissues in the microphone on the live feed. Isaiah 50, verse 1. Yahweh asks, have I abandoned you? It's a rhetorical question. God knows how to ask really good questions to get you to self-realize. Self-realization is the best revelation. Because when you get it for yourself, it sticks. So listen while I talk. The only way our lives can be impacted on a Sunday morning is if God speaks to us. Otherwise, I'm just talking. You need a dialogue with the Lord. So listen. This is the Lord talking. Have I abandoned you? Can you show me your mother's divorce papers that prove I sent her away? Both answers are no. Do you think I sold you into into slavery to pay off a debt? No. We sell ourselves into slavery because of our sins. You know what's so powerful about this? Is that if God actually sold you, then he could never buy you back because he would have broke covenant. But no matter how many times you sold yourself into slavery because of sin, guess what he does? It is so incredible for me to imagine that the Lord keeps buying me back. I didn't deserve to be bought back. You don't deserve to ever be bought back. You didn't deserve it. But in God's love, he died on the cross. And he shed his blood, which speaks always for eternity on your behalf to fight for you. He's fighting for you. He's not against you. And so the feeling of abandonment, the feeling of being alone is a common feeling. It's very common in marriage and marriage problems and hardship and not knowing who to turn to or talk to, feeling stuck. Have you ever felt that way where you're just stuck? But the reality that God never abandoned you and he didn't sell you out. He didn't sell you out. And then you self-deprecate and say, I sold myself out. See, we don't break God's laws, they break us. Meaning that he put the laws in place. He put the fence in place and he said, don't jump the fence. It may look good on the other side. The grass may seem greener. But the only thing on the other side of that fence is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And all the lies that come from is that it will make you better, stronger, wiser, and happier. And that tree comes in the form of many different things. Money, women, men, sex, all kinds of things that look so pleasing to make us better. And in the end, it always kills us even when you think it's good. So you don't break God's laws, but you do trespass. 
I jumped the fence. You got to stop jumping the fence, guys. God put the fence there for a reason. Because he knows what's on the other side will actually destroy you. He knows that what's on the other side may look good and sound good and taste good and feel good, but it only puts you into bondage and slavery. So when we jump the fence, what do we do? We put ourselves into slavery. But guess what he does? Every time. Every time. Every time. It's amazing to me. Isn't it amazing to you? How many times has the Lord rescued you? So he says, oh, because of your rebellion, I sent your mother away. Now, you might not understand this, but he's talking about the nation of Israel being, yeah. being basically exiled into slavery. Why? Because obstinance over long periods of time, the sin puts us into slavery, and then in turn, God sends us away to learn and to understand how much he really loves us to bring us back. But he never actually divorces you. God will never divorce you. Yeah. Listen, he will never divorce you because he made a covenant. He's a covenant keeper. We're covenant breakers. You've got to see that. And if God ever sends a nation away, like he did his own people, what was the intent? To run back to him in repentance. And so every single time, whenever the Lord is silent, anytime the Lord is silent, he always wants us to pursue and to seek him. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it's my glory that when I feel like God is concealing something or silent, to seek him out so I can find out why. Am I mistreating my wife? Am I abusing her, neglecting her, or not honoring her the way God would want me to? In turn, he could be silent. And as I pursue him, he in turn causes me to make it right. That's why I have to run to Jesus a lot. If you're married, you got to run to Jesus a lot. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's two people dying together. Then throw kids in the mix. Verse 2. When I came to you, why was no, again, rhetorical questions. I came to you, how come nobody was there? I called, why did no one answer? Am I powerless to rescue you or too weak to deliver you? Rhetorical questions. So, one, why wasn't anybody there? Because no one can save you but Jesus. Your wife cannot save you. Your husband can't save you. Your kids can't save you. Your job can't save you. Your money can't save you. That's why David said, who do I have in, on earth but you? Who do I have in heaven but you? No one. Because he brings you to this place where you recognize and realize nothing can save you but him. 
And when he came, many times we didn't answer. When he called, many times no one was there. Even Jesus, when he became on earth. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he had followers about the size of Rock City Church. About 500 people. Can you imagine that? And his closest friends, only one of the disciples was at the cross. Now look what happened. So he despised the shame. He trusted the Father. He was obedient to death on the cross, no matter what it looked like. And it produced this supernatural, incredible life, even when no one was there. Because guess who's always there? He is. He, the point, the revelation for you this morning is he's always there and he's always calling. Did you know that? Morning by morning, I'll show it to you. He says, am I powerless? The answer is no, to rescue you. Who needs rescued right now? Do you need rescued? Do you need deliverance? You know what deliverance means? The, the simp most simple definition is I'm in bondage to something. I'm caught up, tangled web, spider web. I need out, but I'm stuck. This is the first step of salvation, by the way. It's rescue and deliver, step one. Step two is he literally transforms us and then he makes us. Next verse. With only a threat, I can evaporate the sea and dry up the rivers as a desert, leaving the fish to rot and die of thirst. I dress the sky with darkness and shroud it with sackcloth. That's how big the Lord is, just a threat, and it's over. He's reminding us of how big he really is. So you think God can't rescue you and deliver you and he's forgotten and he's forsaken and coronavirus and the nations and where's God in all of this? He's right here. Yeah. Yes. And don't forget, with just a threat, yeah. it could be over, but it's not. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. It's the only reason. The only reason why the Lord is delayed in coming back is because he loves you and me and he loves the people in this world and he wants them to be saved and that what his son did on the cross was not in vain and that he gets the full reward of the price that he paid. Come on. The world should be aggressive to save the world. Jesus was really aggressive to the point of the cross because greater love has no one than this that he would lay his life down for his friends. God will never abandon you. God will never abandon you. How do I know this? Because he's never abandoned me and his word says it. Have I abandoned you? Rhetorical question. Did I divorce you? No. I may have allowed you to go into the pig trough for a while, but I was always standing with open arms with a ring to put on your finger when you came back. Whoa. That's awesome. This is the gospel. I hope you all came to hear some good news today. God will never sell you out. We sell ourselves out. 
And even when we sell ourselves out, he has the authority to buy you back. Your prayer should be, buy me back, Lord. That's the whole story of Hosea. Even when his wife ran to and got bought by human traffickers and was on the market for sale, the husband came to the market and bought her back because there was a covenant that could not be broken. The rhetorical question is, will you answer when he calls and will you let him find you when he searches you out? He's not, too, he's not powerless and he's not weak. Verse 4. The Lord Yahweh has equipped me with the anointed, skillful tongue of a teacher to know how to speak a timely word to the weary. Morning by morning. He awakens my heart and he opens my ears to hear his voice, to be trained, to teach. He awakens our heart and he opens our ears to hear his voice. The word awaken and open is the same word in the Hebrew. In fact, in the other versions, the New King James Version says, awaken my heart and he awakens my ear. But the actual word literally means that he arouses my ear to hear. It's important that you understand this in the Hebrew. It literally means that every morning, every day, his mercy's new, 365 days a year, if the sun came up and you're still alive, you get another chance. It means every day, he's, a, he's literally tugging on your ear, arousing your ear. You know what it means to be aroused? Yes, there's a sexual side of it, but the better understanding is, is that he comes to awaken you, to feel him, experience him, bring you back to the passionate emotion of being with him. And it means that he wants you to stir yourself up again and be excited because you're going to be triumphant. It means I awoke you from your sleep. Have you ever been so exhausted, tired, that you, when you wake up, you have no idea where you're at? Or like, or are some of you maybe like my wife is in the morning when she wakes up and she needs like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. She's like, I'm not awake yet. Where's my coffee? Right? Like you don't just wake up. I mean, you wake up and you bounce out of bed chirpy and chipper and smiling and woo, Yeah. I was like that before marriage and kids, by the way. Now I'm like, why are you awake right now? <laughs> Seriously. I was never a morning guy until I had kids. But I learned something about the morning. Morning by morning. Morning by morning, every day is a new day. If the sun came up, the dawn happened like the sun coming over the horizon over the Gulf of Mexico is every day Jesus coming over the horizon of your life to come after you. Every morning, he's wanting to awaken your heart, to stir you back up to who he is, to be excited, to be passionate. And I get it. I may cry more than most. 
definitely more than my wife. But there's something about, except when I'm preaching, she tends to be more emotional when I am than I am. The point is, is that God wants to bring us back to the passionate love and emotion with him. And there's something special about the mornings. Because it's the start of something new. It's newness. And why does God make that important for you? Because there's a newness for you every day. And what he's saying is morning by morning, the Lord awakens my heart and he opens my ears. We need God to open our ears. Tug on your ear for a second and say, God, open my ear. God, open my ear. That's right. To do what? To hear his voice. He wants you to hear his voice. That's why I can't emphasize enough how important it is that you hear his voice. And then he opens your mouth to speak what? To train and to teach. Morning by morning. Our prayer should be this, and we're going to pray it together. Say this and say, God, open my ears to hear your voice. Train me to hear right so I can love and lead right. Give me the ear of a learned disciple to speak only as Jesus and you would speak. So notice this. Notice that we speak a timely word to who? If you came in weary today, something should be rising up inside of you for hope, confident encouragement, and faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Does a healthy man need a doctor? The weak, the weary, the broken, the hurting, the lost. We all have a call to that. Now, should healthy people be coming here? Yes, you should be getting healthier over time. In turn, to do what? To become skilled teachers, to hear God's voice, and to strengthen the weary as they come. Not to just be a kumbaya, sit in a circle, happy-go-lucky, isolated utopia church. That would be a tragedy. He gives us the words to bring comfort to the weary. He awakens our heart. He opens our ears so that we could train and teach. You know how many times Jesus said, I only do and say what I, father, what I see the Father do and say? Do you know how many times? Seven. You can look it up. Seven times Jesus perfectly said, I only do what I say and hear the Father do. Is it just me? Or am I the only one that gets irritated by hearing Christians say things that I know Jesus wouldn't say? We have to be slow to speak and quick to listen instead of talking out of our rear ends. And I could have said that a lot not nicer. No, I'm, uh, it's funny, but I'm actually being serious. We have to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Verse 5. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear, and I did not resist, and I did not rebel. So the Lord's constantly arousing our ear morning by morning. What do we have to stop doing? Resisting and rebelling. How do we resist the Lord every morning? When we wake up and our first thought is, how am I going to get my daily bread by my work? And we go right into being a busy body and we don't sit at his feet and we don't ask him for our daily bread 
and we do it in our own strength. We light our own fires. We got to make it happen because if I don't, no one will. And we neglect the morning by morning. And it doesn't mean God's not there in the afternoon by afternoon or the evening by evening. He's there too. But there's something very powerful about the newness of every day. And it's not a, this is not a morning message. This is a mercy and grace and daily bread, kindness, compassionate, love never failing message for you. The fact is we think we're abandoned. And he says every day, I'm reaching my arm out to you. My arm is not too short to save you. I offered my back, verse 6, to those who flogged me and my cheek to those who tore out my beard. I never hid my face from demeaning insults or from those who spit on me. Whenever somebody was considered a fool in the Old Testament, they would be flogged or the hair would be pulled out of their beard because you're a fool. They thought Jesus was a fool. So what did they do? They flogged him. They pulled the hair out of his beard. They spit on him and demeaned him with insults. And guess what he didn't do? Build a wall. He didn't hide his face. But what do we do? If we've been hurt, wounded, lied to, spit on, insulted, cheated on, robbed, we build walls around ourselves. I'm not talking about walls around nations or our homes. We have a fence and a gate, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about building a wall around ourselves to self-preserve ourselves. Right. Because what is the saying, bite me once, shame on me twice, something like that. I don't even know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Fool me once, bite me, lie to me. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Whatever you do... Whatever they do, oh, there's no biting. Whatever happens, I don't hide my face. Okay, whatever it is. Whatever it is, let's move on from that. You guys are all still thinking, now, what is that saying? This is a prophecy about Jesus, by the way. Yeah. Jesus lived this. Yeah. It was foretold a long time before it happened. Mm -hmm. But as it happened to Jesus, guess who else it can happen to? In fact, the Bible even says, if we are going to reign with him, we must die with him. Yeah. Oh. To live with him is to suffer with him. Yep. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me because I've been crucified with him. And so the point I'm trying to tell you is don't think for a second that the more aggressive you get, the more spiritual you become, that people are going to say, it doesn't take all that, or you're a fool, or stop being so vocal, stop being so passionate. He offered his back and his cheek, and he didn't hide his face when they said, give me your beard. But the bigger thing is, is when people spit on you and slander you and mock you, that you don't run into shame and hiding as a scorned lover. Whether it's a past pastor, a past church, a past marriage, whatever it is, we step into the light. This is the important thing for you to see. 
is no matter what somebody did to Jesus, he stayed in the light. He didn't retreat with shame and fear and worry and doubt or whatever it is that we fill our lives with. Addiction, you name it. Jesus actually offered it and stepped into the light. You know, I'm an old, let me rephrase. I'm not an old rocker. I'm a young Jesus rock star. But in my past life, I would love the album by Pink Floyd, The Wall. And if you research that, whole album started with a fan spitting in the face of the lead singer, Roger Waters, whoever it was. I don't remember. And so the whole concept uh, was building a wall around myself so nobody can hurt me again. And going all the way back to the, his childhood of what his parents did and realizing the roots of hurts and pains and shame and dysfunction for so many years that we self-isolate and preserve ourselves around because somebody spit on me and pulled the hair out of my beard and shamed me and mocked me. And then we put these walls up so it never happens to me again. But when we get Jesus inside of us, we get a new response. Because now it doesn't actually matter what you do. And I actually see that when people spit on me and insult me, it's now creating me to be more like him. So I don't hide my face anymore. There's no hiding your face. Why would you ever hide your face? Shame. Shame always blames. Shame always hides. It's somebody else's fault. Next verse. Oh, I love this so much. The Lord Yahweh empowers me so I am not humiliated. For that reason, with holy determination, I will do his will and not be ashamed. Isn't that so good? Isn't that awesome? You guys awake? (laughs) Or are we just captivated by the presence of God right now? Because the Lord really is here. And I think we're going to see him come with a vengeance to his bride in church like we've never seen before. We can't go back to normal. I'm not talking world normal. I'm talking kingdom normal is going to look different than we've ever seen. How? More power, more love, more grace, more freedom, more deliverance, more presence, more authenticity. I remember when we started this church, I wanted to call it the authentic church, but my wife would not let me name it that. So it's like, we're the authentic ones, but that church down the street, they are not the authentic ones. No. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, we're not going to name it that, but God wants authenticity. And you know how you can be authentic? Because the Lord empowers you, so you're not humiliated. Why? Because we don't care what anybody thinks or says anymore. Because you got free of a man-pleasing spirit. You got free of worrying what somebody else is going to think and say about you. Because the Lord now is in your life when you get born again. You don't live in fear or worry of what the world has to say or your family or your friends. And it'll usually be your family is going to be the first ones that come against you people you love the most. 
But when the Lord's for you, you're never going to be humiliated. And it's for that reason, with a holy determination, I'm going to do his will and I'm not going to be ashamed because the Lord loves me so much. Because the Lord cares about me so much. Because greater is he that's in me than anything in the world. Because if the Lord is for me, when you get this truth, the spin outs, the fears, the shames, the isolations, the divisions, all the dumb things that divide the church will cease. I mean, there's some really idiotic things that are dividing the church today. And trust me, the world was already long divided before coronavirus. All coronavirus did was magnify what was already in the world. And should it be in the church? We fight over things like masks, and we fight over things like don't get too close, and we fight over things like you shouldn't have had church again, and we fight over things like petty things. All kinds of the world. I just lovingly want to say this to you. You're not the world. You're in the kingdom of God when you get born again. Our empowerment must first come from the Lord. Otherwise, humiliation is inevitable. If you don't have empowerment from, the God, from God, you will be humiliated. That's what the scripture means. Because he empowers me, I'm not humiliated. But if I don't have him empowering me, I will constantly live in fear of humiliation, which leads to self-preservation. Do you see that? There's no shame when the Lord's on our side and empowering us, regardless of what other people say or do. Jesus had to face this type of humiliation, and so will we. But he overcame, and so will we. Verse 8, the one who makes me righteous is close to me. Who would dare challenge me now? Who would be my opponent? All rhetorical questions for you to think and self-realize. Self-realization is the best revelation. Who... The one who makes you righteous is close to you. Who would dare challenge you now? Who would be your opponent? Let him stand before me. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It's the Lord who empowers me. Who would condemn me? My, my accusers will all fade away like worn out, moth-eaten clothes. So here's some guaranteed promises for you. As a believer, you will be challenged. As a believer, you will be opposed. As a believer, you will be accused. As a believer, you will be confronted. But when God is for you, no one can stand against you. And instead of you fading away and becoming insignificant, your accusers will actually fade away. You see, you never have to make a name for yourself. What I was going to teach on today, I'm going to teach on next week, but I'll give you a little snippet. You know why the people wanted to build the Tower of Babel? To make a name for themselves. Because we're always, the natural human carnal nature is always about making a name for yourself. And the dream, the American dream, and the world system is success, money, looks, materialistic things. Success is defined much differently in the world than it is in the kingdom. And if you're not careful, the worldly, carnal, natural mindset will always lead you to self-preservation 
and I need to make a name for myself. You know how Jesus made a name for himself? He died on the cross. You know the best way for you to get a name for yourself? Just die now. So I'm going to leave you with this, and then I'm going to pray for you. We're going to read a section of Scripture that is absolutely ties into everything I've taught you today. And then we're going to do a worship song that's very near and dear to my heart. We're going to sing together. Because I found that worship and singing can be one of the best times of experiencing God's love and power and breakthrough. Because if I can get you to really worship and say, God, I surrender all. If you can worship through the valley of the shadow, if you can worship. Here in just a moment, before we do, I want to read to you a section of scripture starting at Romans chapter 1, verse 31. Oh, this is so good. You ready? Romans 8, verse 31. So what does it all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me. Come on, tell me. Is there anybody that can accuse you? They can accuse, but does it stand? Does it matter? Who cares? That's why I stand up all the time. I talk about, oh, when I was in prison, I can imagine somebody's going, that pastor was in prison. Oh, my gosh. We got to get out of here. Because I don't care. It's part of my story. It's made me so much of who I am today. Thank God for what I went through. If God's determined to stand with us, has God determined to stand with you or not? Has he or not? Yes. Do you really believe it or not? Yes. Oh, you sure you're not just kind of saying that on a Sunday morning, nice religious service, or do you really believe it? So then if he's standing with you, here's the rhetorical question. Who could stand against you? Anybody? Next verse. For God has proved. He did the prove it. He proved it. He proved it. It's already been proven. He doesn't actually have to prove it anymore, but he still keeps showing himself to you every day, despite you. How could God love you so much? I don't really know because in my natural self, I could not love you to that degree. But with the Holy Spirit, I can love you the way he did. Because in the natural self, some people I want to punch in the face and I want to rip their necks off and I'm mad in my flesh. And I just want to tell them, you are... That's right, I just want to growl at them. Am I right? God proved it. How? He gave us his greatest treasure. He gave you his greatest treasure. The one thing that mattered the most to him. His son. I love my kids so much. God would give you his very best because he loves you. He loves you. He gave you his greatest treasure as the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up, next verse. 
as a sacrifice for us all, what's he gonna do to you? Make you cut yourself to get back? Oh yeah, you, you, you better do your religious duties and then maybe God will take you back. Oh, a week of penance. And then maybe in three days, Instead of morning by morning. Morning by morning. He loves you. And because of him giving his only treasure, the gift of his son, as a sacrifice for all of us, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. God doesn't want to withhold anything from you. Next verse. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? Who would dare accuse a son, a daughter, who he has chosen to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Oh, this is a tough one. This is incredible news, but this is hard. Not guilty? Really? Not guilty? Because in my mind, I am so guilty. And we live with guilt and shame. Our whole life, some people their whole life never get over the guilt and shame. It's an antichrist spirit. Guilt and shame is an anti. Now, we can feel guilty, which should cause us to run to him. But when we run to him in repentance, it produces life, not living in God, ungodly sorrow or worldly sorrow and dying. He issued the verdict on the cross, not guilty. And some of you were bad people. You were bad criminals. Some of you really do not deserve the not guilty verdict. That's the point. In his love, he did not grant you what you deserved. This is the gospel. See, I'm a natural responder. My biggest thing I have to work with Amber is that I, when I'm not happy with her or she says something I don't like or speaks a tone I don't like, my response is talk right back to them. Oh, thank you. I, I know. is we want to make people what they've done. That's my point. You do to me, you don't want to cross me. Because if you cross me, you're going to see a side of me and I'm going to growl at you. Who then is left to condemn us? 
Is there anybody left to condemn you? I still don't think some people are really getting it today because you're living in condemnation. Oh, this is nice. And we stay the same. Why are you continuously condemning yourself? Can you give me any good reason? Can you give me one good reason? Why you keep living in condemnation? Because you bombed it and you failed it or you were hurt. Whatever it was. And the Lord says, I'm for you, not against you. And you'll never be humiliated with me. So who's left? You can try to accuse me. The devil's accuser. He tries all, he tries all the time. I just choose to not let it work because I know who I am and I know who he is and I know these scriptures. Certainly not Jesus. I like this because he's like, who's going to condemn you? Certainly not Jesus because guess who most people think is condemning them? But I guess we didn't read John chapter 3. He didn't come in the world to condemn the world but that the world through him would be saved. So why are you living in condemnation? I'm looking at every single person in this room you got to let that shame be broken out of your life. It is a lie. Hiding your face, self-preservation, isolation, I get it. Step into the light and understand Jesus is for you, not against you, and he didn't come to condemn us because you see it right here. Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, because what did he do? He actually gave his life for us. And even more than that, this is what I love. It didn't stop at the cross. He didn't stop at the cross. Even more than that, he conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. That's where he's at. Next verse. So how could he possibly condemn you since he's continually praying for you to win? Wait a minute. Jesus is continuously wanting me to win? And not just win, but triumph. I want you to win. He's for you, not against you. How could he possibly condemn you since he's praying for you? I've taught that message. Jesus, the mediator. Next verse. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Can anything separate you from God's love? Something in the universe? Nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward you. Troubles, pressures, problems. Are any of you in trouble right now? Do any of you have any pressure? Do any of you have any problems? I often feel like I'm all three at any one given time. Let's just be honest. So this is a question. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between you and heaven's love. But wait a minute. What about persecutions? You know what deprivations means? I'm hungry and thirsty and I'm lacking 
and I don't know how I'm going to, I'm deprived. Will that separate you from God's love? No, no, I'm asking you really. If you lost your job and you didn't know how you were going to pay your next bill and you were uncertain or it seemed like your world caved in or your marriage was falling apart, will it separate you from God's love? If you did a massive amount of drugs in your life and even last night, will it separate you from God's love? If you looked at porn all night long last night, will it separate you from God's love? But maybe just a day, a minute, a breath, a second. Nothing can separate you from God's love. No deprivations, no dangers, no death threats. No, for they are all impotent, meaning they have no power to stop God's omnipotent love. Woo! That's so good. Next verse. Even though it's written all day long, we face death threats for your sake. I like this. Even though the Bible says all day long, we face death threats for your sake. God, we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. That's what the world thinks, but really we're lions to conquer. We're God's sheep, not the world's sheep. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors. Next verse. And he and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. We'll leave it there. (sighs) He demonstrated his love through his death on the cross. He has victory over everything. So we're going to sing a song titled, You Never Let Me Go. This song is very near and dear to my heart because it was this song in particular that sustained us through the loss of our child. We worshiped and listened to this song on repeat so many times. And you know what I've learned? No matter what comes my way, no matter what happens, he'll never let us go. And I wanna encourage you to worship right now. And I'll pray for you when we're done, before we go, but I want you to have a moment with the Lord and I want you to sing this song and listen to these words and I want you to declare it because it's truth. He'll never, ever let you go. Let's all stand.